Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents, <laughs> take two. Nine Cents is a satanic <laughs> perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Yeah, this is take two. I'm here with uh, Jesse from My Dream of Jesse. How are you, my dear? I'm doing almost as well as, no, I'm doing even better than I was five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Troubleshooting audio issues, uh, just quality issues, is so fickle sometimes. It's uh, It's crazy. Well, I'm glad we are 100% at this point, and uh, I'm really excited for the show, people. It is June 7th, and we do have a wonderful show for you. We're going to start with I Dream of Jesse. This is episode 25. What are we calling this one? We're calling it Monetizing Your Craft. Mm, I'm looking forward to that. I love starting the show with something powerful, uh, and that's why we're uh, putting you up front. I love this stuff. All right, and we're going to follow that up with something different from Heather Height. This is episode three. I hope you guys have caught the last two because they're really good. This one's called Comedian's Comedian versus Mainstream Comedian. And uh, we're going to follow that up with Infernal Informant. Minneapolis private school takes students to adult novelty store for sex ed lesson. Just don't touch the booths, kids. Keep your hands away from the booths. Um, yeah, we won't jump into it yet, but can you imagine if the kids were pickpocketing, or, or not pickpocketing, but, you know, lifting stuff while they were there? Yeah, they come home with a little penis straw. Where did you get this, Becky? Oh, my gosh. Um, all right, and then we're going to close out the episode with Creature Feature. I sp- sat down and spoke with uh, Jimmy Psycho from the Jimmy Psycho Experiment. His new album, Intergalactic Playboy, is out, and uh, I'm going to give you guys one of the songs from that and uh, a little bit of a discussion about the album. It's always nice talking with him and uh, he did a fantastic job with this one. So look forward to that at the tail end. And that's going to be the show. So let's start off a couple notes really quick. For those of you who have been bugging uh, Aden about a paperback or an ebook version of Milton Eroticism, pay attention to the Facebook page for Milton Eroticism book. You may be... uh, you may be pleasantly surprised about what you see there in the coming days. All right. Now, I have, uh, I've been working on a number of projects lately. I had this really... Tell me if this happens to you, Jesse. Do you ever get hit by a, an idea? Like, for example, I was hit with an idea for a book, and it consumed every bit of my energy and thought for the next 24, 48 hours until I got sort of the core concept of it on paper. Has this ever happened to you? Never for that long, but for a few hours, yeah, sure. I This was such a weird thing. I was, I'm always, like in my head, I have like four or five different stories that I want to put down. And because I have kids, they're always take the shape of children's books, things that I think would be an interesting way to, to educate my children while they're, you know, learning how to read and, and ways for them to understand complex topics in a bit of a softball way. Um, rather than just hitting them over the head with it. 
So uh, I've got a, a bunch of stories. I had this one in my head where it it had nothing to do with Satanism. It has nothing to do with anything except for just life experience. Um, and it's not even really like a, you know, a story that you sort of tie a bow on and it's happy at the end. It sort of ends on this dep- depressing note, but it's emotionally charged. I was bawling. I don't do this. I was bawling in the car when I was brainstorming the dialogue in this book. Uh, you know, how each section was going to fit together, how the story was going to be completed, how it was going to start and end and everything was going to, character development and where I was pulling it from emotionally in my own past. And it got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't, I was trying to explain to my wife what the story was and I couldn't do it. Like I was just choking up. I sat down and I started writing it out and it was, I've never done this before. It was just me crying like a little girl typing out this freaking story. It was the most insane thing. I mean, the way, I don't know how you write. When I write, I, I usually like, I write synopsis first and then I sort of write drafts from that point on. But I always reference the synopsis so that I can keep all those core elements in my mind. Otherwise, I just go off on wild tangents as I am right now. Um, so I always need those sort of notes to keep me in line. Do, how, do you, how do you put uh, your stories together, if I may ask? Uh, I start with a brain dump and then I edit it and then I trash it and start with a completely new blank slate and Ooh. edit that and trash it and then start with a new blank slate. And, you know, three or four iterations <laughs> through I've got something that I can work with. Nice. Maybe I should try that. I feel like I'm doing it a little too structured. And, and anyway, um, I got that out. And then, so I've just been going through this uh, creative fiesta. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've been uh, getting uh, drawings out and I've been getting stories out. And I've still been, you know, trying to keep pace with the family life and everything. And it's, it's, it's absolutely drained every single amount of energy and will from me. And it, and every single time, I can't even speak, it leaves me in a state of absolute <laughs> depression because I'm never happy with what I've produced. Everything that I look at that I've put down on paper, whether it's a drawing, a sketch, uh, or writing, is horrible. And I'm just, I, I can't tell if it's my own neurosis that's saying, you are not good enough, so you'll never produce something good enough, or... If it's genuinely just not good and I know that I can do better, whatever it is, it it leaves me so down, like in such a bad place. And it's like every single time that I do this, you know, really go out of my way to produce something that I care about, I end up in the same place. Do you ever deal with that at all? Is that something you're familiar with? Well, I mean, totally in the sense of like... I don't like anything I've created. Um, yeah. And, and like, okay, so, so like tonight's I Dream of Jesse is not the one I had planned. Um, this one actually kind of something, some, the topic came up on Facebook, and so this one's kind of a reaction to it. So I've only wrote this in like a day, um, which probably means it's going to suck. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's like I, I kind of cringe to listen to my old episodes, but I don't get into like a depression over it that part doesn't happen i kind of just say look you know this is this is the best i can do at this point in my life and if you're still taking submissions well it can't suck all that bad yeah oh well i need a little bit of your mentality (laughs) because 
I mean, it, it really gets me in a dark place. I, I've been, um, we've been doing these photos for this project that I've been working on before I scrapped it all together and just ended up doing uh, it all just, you know, traditional drawing. Um, but for the past week, I would say every night we try to do these photo shoots to get what I need and I can't get what I need. Uh, one, I'm not working with a professional photographer. I'm working with people around me. And so they're capacity versus my capacity versus my ability to art direct while being the subject is limited and it just it becomes a huge nightmare trying to produce anything in this way um but i because of ease continue to try to produce in this way um i don't know how easy it is when you can't do it but i still fucking convince myself that i could uh yeah, but what it, it means sound easy when you were saying it but yeah, hey <laughs> if you're gonna call it ease okay <laughs> Yeah. In my head, I'm like, why is it so difficult? Why can't I just say to do this and I'll do this and we're good? No. Um, it it gets to the point where I don't want to start anything new. I don't want to do new projects. I don't want to contribute to anything. I don't want to do anything because inevitably I go to sleep pissed off or completely depressed about what I've done. And it sucks because I'm a creative individual. This is what I do for a living. This is how I make my money. But I I just, I don't want to do it when I'm not on the clock, even though I'm actually more passionate about the stuff that I want to do off the clock. It, it just drives me fucking, I feel like it's this crazy cycle of excited about a project, start the project, happy with the project, finish the project, hate the project. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every fucking time. And it's just, it's really wearing on me. Um, I don't know. If anyone out there has any uh, any suggestions, coping mechanisms, or I don't know, something. I, I need some help, man. I, this is, it's getting, it's getting too dark over at my house. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I'm glad that, I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe it's just a, a base understanding that you you're just a little clearer than I am, but I wish I could just do use the mechanism that you just described of saying, well, at the time that's the best I could do, and then move on. I mean, even looking back at my older stuff, I still I, I don't ever I use my rationale of what I know now to judge it. You know, even though I may not have known anything about the techniques I know now, I still judge my past work on where I currently am. <laughs> which isn't yeah, yeah, fair. That's that's fine. Judge your past work by all means, but don't judge yourself. That's what I'm saying. See, and I have a hard time separating that. Like, your work from yourself, you know? Like, I, the way I have always experienced it is it's just a part of you that you're either putting on paper in one form or another. I mean, it's... Or, or putting out there, you know, in some way. Just like this podcast. I, I genuinely feel like this is a part of me that I'm putting out there. So it's hard for me to be able to separate saying, well, this is just something that I did versus this is a part of me. So when I'm unhappy with it, I'm not unhappy with me. I'm just not happy to work. I just can't do that. It's weird. So maybe well, I, that's I guess, the problem. I guess part of how I come to my own um, way of looking at that is, I used to be afraid to do anything because I know, you know, I, I knew ahead of time that once I was done with it, I would think it sucked. Mm. So I was afraid to do it. So I didn't do it. And then I come to find out I regret more not doing something than I do doing it and it having flaws. So I kind of look at it as, you know, I, 
I got to do it because the larger regret is going to be not taking the chance. Yeah. I like that idea. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to try to steal some of your <laughs> thoughts <laughs> in this and uh, move forward with it. It it drives me nuts. Um, I'm really, I, I've, I've gotten to a point where I have like this stockpile. I'm totally changing the subject. <laughs> I've gotten to a point where I have a stockpile of bottles. And so I've been like trying to brew as much as possible, cycling through it. So I just don't have empty bottles all over my kitchen. It's really frustrating. So it's, it's weird. <laughs> when I brew, I have to make food for some reason. Like it, in, it's just a part of the process for me. I associate the two things. So I'm standing over an oven. I might as well have something else happening too. So I made cinnamon rolls while I was brewing. And <laughs> now like we have this mirror, this tall mirror right next to, um, it's like between my kitchen and my dining space. Uh, so I like walk by and I get a glimpse of myself in the mirror. I'm just like, my stomach, I, I'm seeing the food that I'm eating while I'm making all of this beer being reflected in my gut. Like I don't drink the beer I make. It's usually I have people over and they consume it all. Like I'll have, you know, one every once in a while, but I don't, I don't drink enough to warrant a beer belly, but God damn it. I'm getting a food beer belly from making the beer. It's weird. <laughs> It sucked. Do you, do you get this where you just sort of catch a glimpse of yourself and you do a double take? You're like, that's what I look like? Like, that's what I look like? <laughs> that ever happen? Yeah, to you? yeah, that happens. <laughs> it, what are you oh, that's do? another thing. God damn it. That drives me fucking crazy. Okay, hold on. This is insane. So I'm going back to those photograph things. So I was doing, oh God, this is going to be a little embarrassing. So the, I had a, a project where I was just, it was just a nude photo shoot that I was trying to put together that I was going to use in a mixed media uh, type of piece. And so we were trying different lighting and stuff like that. Some of the lighting, after I saw the photos, I wanted to stab my eyes, like with a knife, just jagged, rusty blade in my eyeball, because it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. And it was me. <laughs> it was so horrible. I was like, holy fuck. How could I possibly look like my residual self-image? The way I see myself in my head is so different than the fucking photo in front of me. It is, it's like an alien version of me, like not real me. It's so weird. I, I'm, I, I might be going crazy in this past week with all this stuff. It's just piling up. It's so weird. I don't even recognize myself. And so like, you know, just walking between the stove and the kitchen, catching the glimpse in the mirror, having this flashback of seeing those photos earlier in the week. I'm just like, why do I bother? <laughs> why do I do anything? Why don't I just, why don't I just get fat, grow old and fucking die? I could work at McDonald's and not have to worry about anything. Just no creative thought ever. I would probably be happier. Oh, and it would help me get fat too. So, See, that doesn't, I don't get it so much with like the whole, you know, neck down thing. It's actually when I see photos of myself because it's not, you know, I look at myself in the mirror and everything's transposed, right? Mm -hmm. And I see a photo and it's how everybody else sees me and it just doesn't look like me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it fucking freaks me out. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, why does she wear her hair like that? She'd part it on the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, on that well. down note, <laughs> let's 
I'm sorry. I didn't. Mean, I'm. I'm totally like setting up your show on a down note. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, now for something good and exciting. I drove Jesse. <laughs> Jesse, what do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd I'd like you to address me as master. I I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Uh, I I assume that was part. I mean, the outfit. It it kind of suggests. You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. I want to present here nine tips for Satanists selling their wares to other Satanists. I've been a member of the Church of Satan since 2006 and have paid many Satanists for their wares. Most of these transactions went splendidly. It's been a pleasure doing business with you. Some, some transactions had issues, but I'm not going to talk about those. Any examples I use here are completely made up. Now, when I send money to another Satanist for something they have created, it's because I like what they've created and I want to share their enjoyment of their creation. I go into these deals wanting a win-win situation. I may be in the minority here. Certainly, there are a lot of people in this world who want to see how much they can get with little or no payment. But since that's not the place I'm coming from, please don't take any of these tips as being subtle jibes at particular individuals. They are not. Okay, on to the tips. Tip 1. Wait until you're good at something. Don't try to sell your first few attempts. Don't even give away your first few attempts if it means bad advertising. Let's say you make ritual, ritual robes. Your first attempts don't hang quite evenly. Do you want someone going to group rituals telling people that they got their robes at jessietwain.com if it doesn't look good? If you need to sell early attempts to keep funding the business, sell them to a market you don't mind leaving, like costume stores. Tip number two. Get an objective review of your product before it goes to market. Now, some people will be resistant to hurting your feelings. Others will be as excited about what you're doing as you are and honestly won't see the problems. Find someone who can be honest and isn't into what you're selling. Now, if you make music, play it for someone who doesn't like that style of music. That's the person who will tell you if the guitar is too loud compared to the vocals, or if the third song sounds like a ripoff of the Rolling Stones, or if the album artwork looks off-center. Someone into your style of music might honestly hear or see past these things. Tip number three. Avoid plagiarism or copycats by doing what you do best. A copycat may come onto the scene doing something similar to cash in on your business, but if they're copying you, then they don't have the passion that you have because they're trying to be something that they're not. You're just being you, which you are the best at, and therefore you will create a higher quality product provided you followed step number one and waited until you actually got good at your craft. Tip number four, advertise honestly. You want to under-promise and over-deliver as much as possible. If a piece looks like it will have weight to it, and it arrives and turns out to be made of lightweight plastic, you're under-delivering. 
If a work sounds like it will be a novel in length, but the word count is more like a novella, advertise it as such. Being in any way disingenuous to make a sale is short-sighted and doomed to fail. Tip number five. Ask what can go wrong and have a backup plan. If you suddenly can't get supplies to fulfill orders, what's the plan? Now, the plan could be an alternate supplier, or it could be you make a point of not taking payment until an item is ready to ship. If you ship a product and a, cost, and a customer says they didn't receive it, what's the plan? The plan could be ship another one, no questions asked, or it could be negotiate a reshipment for a small fee. The trick is to think these things through ahead of time, because you don't want to be inventing processes under the stress of receiving negative customer feedback. Tip number six. Reputation matters, especially if you're a Satanist selling something to other Satanists. Like it or not, you're part of the product. So if you set up a Facebook page and sell handmade virtual tools, your post shouldn't just be, here's one of my products, here's another one of my products, here's yet another one of my products. A post showing you making your products is an improvement but a post showing you making a pot of chili or watering your bonsai collection is even better. That these posts have nothing to do with what you're selling is the point. People don't like advertisements. They get up to pee when they see commercials on TV, and they click skip ad as soon as that option is available. If every post you make is, here's my latest product, guess who won't be followed? Tip number seven. If your product is fragile or wrinkles easily or is perishable, test ship it to friends or even back to yourself. Let UPS toss the box around a few times and leave it out in the rain for a few hours. Find out what your customer's experience will be when they get it and test different packaging until you're sure what you ship is what your customer receives. Tip number eight, respect the trust that prepayment represents. You know those scenes in movies where there's a briefcase with the goods and a briefcase full of unmarked bills and two lackeys come forward, open their briefcases and look back at their bosses who must nod in approval before the deal is done and the whole scene is surrounded by armed men on both sides and often there's limousines or helicopters standing by to whisk the parties away in opposite directions? That's what a business deal look like, looks like when there's no trust. Would you ship your product and ask customers to pay for it when they receive it? It's never done that way, but imagine how stressful it would be if it was. There's your hard work out the door, and maybe you'll get paid for it, and maybe you won't. The way, it's, the way it does work is someone sends you their hard-earned cash, and maybe they'll get something for it, and maybe they won't. When someone prepays you, they are in a state of discomfort until your product arrives. To prolong that discomfort is disrespectful, and does not fit the tenant of the responsibility to re the responsible. Tip nine, read every incoming message from every avenue you've established for every communication every day. Got a Facebook page, a Twitter account, email, voicemail, a web page, a blog, an eBay account, and a YouTube channel? Well, guess what? Your customers might be trying to reach you on any one of those. Maintain them or delete them but don't expect to use any one of them solely for outbound communications. Running a business isn't easy. Most startups fail, and nobody is good at everything. My purpose here is to help the very creative individuals we have in our organization to be more successful making a living off of their creativity. 
Your success doesn't threaten me. It, it inspires me. Even if what you're selling doesn't excite me, seeing talented individuals succeed does. Hell yeah. I think this is fantastic. And I don't think people know this, surprisingly. <laughs> like, these are some really core ideas that you must understand if you're going to sell anything. I mean, even if what, for example, yeah, I'm going to use uh, Nine Cents as an example. I have a ton of different uh, social networks that I'm connected to. If I didn't pay attention to all but one of them, uh, <laughs> I would be missing out on a lot of uh, potential audience. Uh, if I was selling something through this, then why wouldn't I do that? It, it seems crazy, but I've run into people in real life, um, not all of them Satanists, and very few actually were, that don't listen to any of this, or maybe they just don't know it, they're ignorant, but it's a horrible transaction. It's a horrible process that you have to go through to get anything from them, which is crazy because it should be an easy thing. <laughs> like you reach out, hi, I would like to buy your product. Wonderful, thank you so much for your interest. This is what it's gonna cost. Waiting for payment, you get payment, you ship it out, you reach out to them, so what did you think? I appreciate you, you know, uh, patronizing my product leave me a review like this should be like a basic back and forth exchange between every single customer especially on a small scale i mean once you get to a big corporate structure that may not be possible in every case then you break it down into percentages of, of cases but i don't know i don't get that why do you think people uh generally either don't do this or how is it possible that they never knew about some of this stuff I, I'm just assuming it's inexperience. Um, yeah. I, I never assume, of course, there are shysters in the world. Right. But I mean, if I thought somebody was going to try to rip me off, I wouldn't be sending them money in the first place. So, it's, <laughs> you know, anybody I try to buy anything off of, I'm assuming that they are really gung ho about what they're doing. And, you know, everybody's in a very positive frame of mind. So if mm. they make a mistake, it's a mistake. And either they, you know, because sometimes you know better and you just drop the ball on something. Right. In which case, as soon as you find out, you fix it. And and for the most part, anytime I've had a problem buying anything, not just from Satanists, but across the board, if there's mm -hmm. a problem and you get a hold of the person and you say, hey, there's a problem, they jump right in and fix it. And that's just normal. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think some of the mistakes that get made are just somebody needs to like kind of grab them by the shoulders and shake them and say hey you're missing this this is important i know you don't know it because you'd be doing it because you have so much passion for what you're doing i'm sure if you knew this was important you would be doing it but it's not getting through to you yet that it's important <laughs> so that's that's kind of where i'm going with this is to try to come on guys i want to see you succeed <laughs> <laughs> it is i mean i guess on the out of the ignorance side of it um, it's understanding. You, you're passionate about creating something and you want to share that uh, creation with other people. And so you, you want to get it to them as fast as possible, which means put it up online, put a big buy now button and you're, you call it done. Like, okay, now people can get it. There's a lot of planning that any small, you know, I'm going to be using the terminology of small business, but, and that's really how you should be looking at it. Uh, no matter what it is, whether it's a sculpture or a book or a picture, 
it's it's all a small business scale of things. So you have to be able to plan things out. Think of whatever you're creating in terms of a business plan, and then do. I I love how you exp, um, uh, use the example of shipping the package to yourself, so that you could see potential problems that would arise through shipping, so that you can plan for those problems. I don't think people do this enough and not just with shipping, but troubleshooting customer experience issues or um, oh, yeah, purchasing yeah. I mean, issues. Yeah, if you've, if you've set up your own website because you know how to do that, well, like go to another computer and log into it and buy something off of it mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, all the buttons work as they're supposed to and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're if you're using an eBay or something like that, you don't have to worry about that, but you've got to troubleshoot everything. Yeah. Just making sure you're looking at it from all angles. Yeah, I think, you know, when people, when they're not buying uh, a storefront and they don't think of it in terms of a small business, whatever they're selling, you know, I don't think they really do the due diligence throughout the process. They just think I can, and you know, maybe the problem is it's so easy. It's so easy to set up a storefront, but that means it's easier to fail. Let's, let's, let's just, okay. It is so easy to set up a storefront, which means any asshole can do it, (laughs) which means most of them won't do it well. So you want to be better than average. Mm. (laughs) You want to be better than the herd who's going with this real easy to set up a storefront, don't you? (laughs) I, I think part of it is because people are so passionate about what they're making that their focus is on the product. And it should be, but at some point you have to say, okay, I'm going to spend a couple hours here and not think about the product and only think about customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every whenever we get a new client in, um, in my professional career, and we're talking to them about, you know, traditionally what it is is they say, well, we want, we want to run some ads in a newspaper. Well, okay, um, what is your positioning statement? What is your brand differentiation? What is it that you're selling that's better than everyone else so that we can create this ad so that it speaks to your demographic, your target market? And the majority of people have no idea. They don't have a logo or if they did, it was something that their nephew put together and it's just really terrible and, you know, just low resolution. And they they just think that everything is so easy. Well, it's so easy. I can just sell whatever I want online. No, you have to think about it. If you want to be successful and you want a long term, here's, it's really important to look down the road and, and plan for things. I really loved what you said um, near the beginning. Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember which, uh, which number, tip number it was. Um, because the first time you put something out, if it's just not up to par, no one's going to come back for the second time. No one is going to waste their time to see if you've improved it or not because they didn't buy your first poor attempt. And the, with online publishing, with online distribution of artwork, with anything, you really, really, really need to start with your best foot forward and not think that people are going to go with you through your experience of improving. There are so many people that are so already up to par that may not have the exact product that you're trying to uh, sell, but it's, it's different enough, but still the same that they're going to go with them. Like there's no reason to wait for you to get good at it. Yeah, let me throw this in as it's sort of an impromptu t- tip number 10. 
is um, if you create something and you really want to know, is this up to par? Because of course you're going to continue to get better. So yeah. it's not like you can say, okay, I've arrived and now everything's going to be perfect from now on. It's not like that. There's, there is a, there's a, it's shades of gray and you reach a point where it's the right shade that you can start selling it. And if you want to know, am I at that shade? You have to like kind of introduce your product as not your own. It's like, hey, I just uh, I just bought this CD. You like this band? I'm not sure if I like this band. You like this band? <laughs> you know, something like that. And and just don't even tell the person that you're presenting it to, to you that, that it's you. And of course, you have to keep a straight face if they say, damn, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. Motherfucker! <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's that's that's real probably really the only way you can know if it's good enough or if you want to like start up like one ebay account to try to sell things and then you know not, not associate it with yourself and if nothing sells you know quietly delete it and <laughs> don't ever mm -hmm. sell those products again and start up another one when you're a little bit better i mean there's different ways to approach it but you've got the the basic idea this is why i I champion the idea of, of honesty, even when it hurts really bad. I mean, as anyone create, as a creative individual, anytime you create something, you need to be able to take criticism and, and look at criticism as something positive because you're going to take that in and use it to make a better product in the end. And I mean, I've had people reach out to me saying, Hey, what do you think of this project? What do you think of this that I've done? And I'm honest and it's not always nice. And it's not because I'm trying to be an asshole. It's because I respect you enough to take the time and consume what you've created and give you honest, objective feedback. Now, it doesn't always mean that my feedback is going to be valuable at all. But if, if you trust me enough, and want me to give you your opinion, then you should take what I say seriously. And it's not me as in me, but anyone that you're asking this of. Take what they're saying seriously and objectively and say, okay, this hurts my feelings, but if I want this person to like it, then I'm going to have to listen and use this feedback. And it, it's not easy at all, but it is really, really important. I think those are great tips, Jesse, and thank you. Thank you. Well, where can the good folks listening find a little more Jesse online? Well, they could check out my blog, which is Drafts from a Satanic Windbag at WordPress.com. Um, they can email me at idojesse at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook as Jesse Twain and on Letters to the Devil as Damned Lucky. Everywhere. Fantastic. I definitely suggest everyone check out her uh, blog, Drafts from a Satanic Windbag WordPress.com. There's... Uh, there's a lot of really good content on there. Um, Jesse's obviously been doing this for 25 episodes now here, but there's more content there. So follow through. And if you go to uh, 9centspodcast.com and look at the IGM of Jesse segment, there's links that go back to our blog as well. Um, in case you don't remember exactly what the URL is. Uh, it's let's kind of a long one. I should have called, yeah. called it Porn and Kittens. <laughs> I would have tuned into that. Yeah, everybody <laughs> would name. once, but that goes back to the whole advertising thing, doesn't it? <laughs> good, true, good point. Good point. Let's do a little something different and then do a little infernal informant right after.
Welcome to Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. Recently, while talking with Adam Campbell about some possible topics for Something Different, he surprised me by bringing up the idea of doing a segment comparing comics comics to mainstream comics. I was surprised because in my elitist stand-up comedian brain, I see Adam as a civilian, or as he would be referred to by comedians if he attended an open mic, one of the real people. In a way that Satanists would certainly understand, stand-up comics consider themselves to be superior, while, unlike Satanists, maintaining an obligatory sense of self-loathing, in part due to being the same species of those we are superior to, and privy to information that real people could never understand. While both Satanists and comedians might not find it necessary to say, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, knowing that the average human wouldn't recognize him for who he truly is and what he represents, because choosing to believe the illusion is more comfortable. Comedians want to drag him out from behind the curtain and make fun of everybody for believing he's a wizard. But this is not about comparing Satanists to stand-up comedians, although that will certainly be a topic for a Something Different segment eventually. Or is it? The more I think about it, the more it appears to me that the things comics admire in other comics are inherently satanic. However, as you'll hear in the clips I'm about to play, both comics, comics, and comedians that would be considered more mainstream possess those same qualities. If you're familiar with the documentary The Aristocrats, you might believe that the difference lies in the level of offensiveness in the material. Okay, that's somewhat true, as comedians are pretty jaded and very inclined to laugh at the darkness of a topic, often using that darkness as a punchline. But the truth is, we are not lacking morality or empathy. What makes us laugh at things like rape is the novelty. Most people don't laugh about rape in their everyday lives. Okay, if my husband and I are in indication, comics laugh about rape in their everyday lives, but not real rape. Okay, maybe like reality-based rape, but not rape in reality. So the novelty for us would have to rely on the ridiculousness of the situation. We would never stand by laughing at a sexual assault. But if said sexual assault was, let's say, a morbidly obese guy dressed as a clown being raped by a midget dressed as the Pope, I'm sorry, that shit's going up on YouTube. Like Carlin said, I can prove to you that rape is funny. Picture Porky Pig raping Elmer Fudd. The difference is also not based on any level of success or fame. All of the comedians I've chosen are successful. They make or made a comfortable living doing comedy. The difference in mainstream success and career success is not necessarily based on the content of their acts so much as the makeup of their characters. Comics comics are, in my experience, not team players. While a great many of us are rebels, there are those among us that would consider bowing to corporate-imposed conformity to be beneath their integrity. My husband would tell you he considers me to be that kind of comic, but he would call it oppositional defiant stubbornness. I have here three examples of the two categories. All of these comedians are acts that I've enjoyed. This isn't about good or bad comedy. Representing mainstream comics, you will hear clips from Rita Rudner, Jeff Dunham, and Gallagher. And the clips from representatives of Comics Comics will be of Otto and George, 
Patrice O'Neill, and Doug Stanhope. Let's start with Rita Rudner. While compiling my list, I realized I didn't include any female comedians. To be honest, I can't think of any female comics that would fall into the category of comics comic. Yet another topic for another day. But there are a lot of very successful female comics to choose from. I didn't want to go with the obvious, like Ellen DeGeneres, who is brilliant, by the way, or classic, like Phyllis Diller. I chose Rita because, like many mainstream comics, she could be considered milk toast. I also chose her because, unlike many women in comedy, Rita is the quintessential female. One of my favorite things about her is that she would perform wearing ball gowns, like a fairy tale princess that little girls imagine being someday. She has a predictable cadence audiences can easily fall into that practically says, laugh here, when she comes to a punchline. Rita never tried to be one of the guys. I like that about her. I, I travel too much to have a plan. I just, I didn't know I would have to travel this much to be a comedian. Really, my purse has been x-rayed in that machine at the airport so many times. It has a lung now. <laughs> And I still get nervous every time I fly. It just doesn't change. The thing that really scares me is the oxygen mask. Well, is it my imagination or is that little tube that dangles down not attached to anything? <laughs> Where is the oxygen coming from, you know? Is there an oxygen fairy? I don't really, I don't think those are oxygen masks. I don't, I think those are more to just muffle the screams. <laughs> I learned this, you know, one thing you should never, ever, ever do on a long trip? Start up a game of peekaboo with the child sitting in front of you. <laughs> there's just, there's no ending, you know? He turned around, I finally grabbed him by the bib. I said, look, it's always going to be me. <laughs> Halfway there, I got smart and switched the game to hide and seek. So he spent the rest of the trip in the overhead rack. That line about her purse going through the x-ray at the airport so many times, it has a lung now is so fucking smart and so funny it makes me angry. Next in our list of mainstream comics is Jeff Dunham. Dunham is hugely popular, a great storyteller, awesome ventriloquist, and I laugh like a little kid at his act. Shh, don't tell the other comics. Terrorist. <laughs> Good evening, Ahmed. Good evening, <laughs> infidel. So you're a terrorist? Yes, I am a terrorist. What kind of terrorist? A terrifying terrorist. <laughs> Are you scared? Not really, no. <sighs> and now? 
Not really, no. <laughs> How about now? No? God damn it. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I mean, uh, Allah, damn it. Also, tell no one that I loved Gallagher as a kid. I have been made fun of by other comics for admitting that I enjoyed Gallagher. He is totally off his rocker. He's a conspiracy theorist now. Actually, I don't know if he was ever on his rocker to begin with. From the very beginning, the word one ought to start with a wah-wah sound and it don't have one. <laughs> don't have a wah-wah and one. Why? There's a wah-wah and why? There ain't no well what the beginning of one. There's an E you don't need. There ain't no well what in one. Then you look at two, there's a well what you don't even need. And now on to our comics comics. Let's start with Otto and George. In his everyday life as a person, Otto Peterson was a good friend and supporter of fellow comedians. It still makes me sad when I think that he's gone. He was always a gentleman, never failing to inquire about my family. The first time I heard about Otto was from a club owner in PA who came up in the business with him. He said, People who think Otto's act is just a bunch of hack one-liners needs to realize those one-liners that you hear in everybody's act, Otto wrote those. A legend in the business, meeting Otto was the equivalent of meeting the guy who invented the knock-knock joke. A really dirty, offensive knock-knock joke. Jersey got arrested this afternoon smoking pot in the car. They gave us one phone call. We called fucking Pizza Hut. <laughs> this fucking guy staring at me. Nice shirt. I didn't know Ted Bundy had a catalog. All right. Uh, who the fuck is that guy? I don't know. A lot of creepy, a lot of good-looking girls in this audience, man. I got a fucking log in my underwear. That's right, I had a wooden cock. I was circumcised with a pencil sharpener. <laughs> At least I stay hard when I'm drunk. Is anybody here from New York or Jersey? <laughs> oh, you're from New York, I'll make you feel at home. Freeze, motherfucker! All right. Oh, that's a black guy. Guilty. All right, stop that. Guilty. Cut it out, George. I'm sorry. All right. A lot of black guys like to date white bitches, eh? Hey, wait, are you against interracial dating? Am I wearing a cowboy hat? Can I fucking finish? You're not against interracial dating. No, you can't blame them. You ever seen a black vagina? It looks like a fucking wallet. Okay. <laughs> I expect the girl to open her legs and fucking credit cards and change and fall out. Uh, miss, your Visa card, there's a quarter here. Pussy. Okay. I need some pussy. Okay. Isn't that romantic when a black guy says, I need some pussy. Uh, here's a black guy sneezing. Uh, uh, a pussy. Okay. Another huge loss to comedy and comedians everywhere is Patrice O'Neill. Viciously honest, absolutely fearless in his commentary on race, sex, and society at large. Probably the most misogynistic man I have ever heard. I fucking love this guy. I don't even know how motherfuckers like work with women and shit. It's unfair, unfair, but we gotta deal with it. I don't know if it's men in here that work with women in offices, but that shit has to be unfair. 
We have to discuss, seriously, y'all working offices with, with, a, with, a, with men? What, let's renegotiate <laughs> harassment. <laughs> I should be able to harass you at your job to some degree, just so I can let that shit off. I should be able to, if, with respect, that's like, good morning, what's your name? Ashton? I go, good morning, Ashton. Uh, beautiful titty meat you have this morning. <laughs> Wonderful. I appreciate all the, the, the titties um, almost showing. Uh, you enjoy the rest of the day. I'll buy you lunch. I appreciate you allowing me to say that your titty meat looks delicious. Enjoy the rest of the day. So that I don't fucking lose my mind. Men working with women is like having grizzly bear work with salmon dipped in honey. And the salmon get to walk around like, hi, grizzly bears, good morning. <laughs> and the grizzly bear's like, Ugh. what's up, fish? <laughs> but you can't even do that shit, because you get fired for being a bear. At, at you, if you go, Ugh, she'll be like, oh my God, Tony, you lose your motherfucking job for being a bear. You got to sit there with your fucking head down, typing and shit. Why you really a bear. And you can't even do fucked up shit because cameras is everywhere. So you can't even like sniff a chair when she goes to get coffee or something. <laughs> I think they should have harassment day. <laughs> One day a year as a holiday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you why. Cause you get to be disrespectful Sexually, you get to do goofy shit like massages, like I'm your buddy massage, and little kisses on the cheek, and the motherfucker's sitting there thinking, man, I wonder, I wonder if I can, if I can run. <laughs> but you get in trouble if you ask, so harassment day. Tuesday, I come in with flowers. I go, hello, happy harassment day. <laughs> you know, hey, would you, would you suck my dick in the broom closet? <laughs> And all you gotta do is go, no. And I say, keep the flowers, enjoy harassment day. I just want to know. I thought you was a hoe, but I didn't know. I wanted to find out, and, and you're not. Enjoy the rest of the week. <laughs> Thankfully, being dead isn't prerequisite to being a comics comic. Although suicide does seem to be one of Doug Stanhope's favorite topics. We saw him live shortly after Robin Williams' suicide. Doug had played a character on Louis C.K.'s show, Louie, a suicidal comedian who comes to tell Louie of his plans to end it all. He learned that Robin Williams had written to Louis C.K. about the role, saying it was the most poignant commentary on suicide depicted on television. Then he said, so I'm not saying I'm responsible for Robin Williams' suicide, but I'd like to think I helped him make such an important decision. Thankfully, it was a Stanhope crowd, so David and I weren't the only ones laughing. In the following clip, Doug Stanhope talks about Jesus dying for your sins. He died for your sins. Well, how does one affect the other? I, I fucking, I hit myself in the foot with a shovel for your mortgage. What, I, don't, I don't understand the, 
And if there is a correlation, why would you do that? Why would you die for someone's sins? Your, your sins are the only interesting thing about you, dreary, bleak motherfuckers. Your sins are what make you, make you fantastic. That's what keeps us great and exciting and fun. That's what makes you alive, man. You should wear your sins on your sleeve. You, you should be trying to top your sins on a daily basis. When you go to work in the morning, the first thing out of your mouth tomorrow morning at work should be the dirtiest shit you did tonight, because that's what people want to hear. It makes you, ah. Right? You tell me a story, hypothetically, you tell me a story about what a good Christian kid you are and how that good book has filled you with some effervescent, loving light of Jesus that shines out of every pore in your squash. You're walking on sunshine because of the Lord. At the same time, you keep the story going real loud. At the same time, you tell me a story about that one time you kick-fucked a girl with cerebral palsy. And we'll see who draws a crowd. <laughs> even, even your make-believe slapstick Jesus on a stick and have to walk away from you right now. Oh, that's very, that's very nice. I pray for you too, but I, I really want to hear this. <laughs> Start over! <laughs> you did what? <laughs> Was she into it? Oh my God. <laughs> what kind of industrial lubricant do you... I can't believe I died for these stories. These stories are fascinating. So how do I conclude this? I don't think there is a conclusion. Any argument I give on one side or the other to define a comic's comic from a mainstream comic can certainly be disputed. Maybe we're just cynical assholes that don't like things because everybody likes them. Maybe we're jealous of the success of others. Or maybe once you pull back the curtain and parade that little man around the stage, it's too hard to put him back and enjoy seeing him as the wizard. Thank you again for listening to Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. You can contact me at heatherheight at yahoo.com, find me on Twitter at Heather Height, or find me on Facebook, also Heather Height. Hail Satan.
Which Gorilla Press? Uh, Infernal Foreman. You know the truck. You're out there. Minneapolis private school takes students to adult novelty store for sex ed lessons. This is from the Star Tribune. The field trip upset some parents at Gaia School. It's just a major breach of trust, said one parent. This is by Nicole Norfleet, and it's posted on the 2nd of June. So a couple days old here. Uh, some parents are outraged after a leader of a small Minneapolis private school took about a dozen middle and high school age students on a sex education field trip to an adult novelty store late last week. Quote, it's just a major breach of trust, said Lynn Floyd, whose 11 and 13 year old daughters were part of the outing to the smitten kitten. <laughs> That's the name of the sex shop. Uh, you just can't erase those images, unquote. A leader of Guy Democratic School and the host of the field trip defended their outing, saying the visit capped a months-long sex education class. Director Starry Hedges, who also teaches the school's sex education class, said she wanted to provide a safe and welcoming environment for students to learn about human sexual behavior. Quote, what I saw happening on our trip, I thought it was beautiful, because kids could talk to their sex educators without any shame, without any fear. Hedges said Monday. Guy is a K-12 school with a motto promising academic freedom, youth empowerment, and democratic education. Parents say the school is about 25 students, including several described by administrators as transgender. IRS records show the school, housed in a Unitarian church on Mount Curve Avenue, has an annual budget of about $100,000. While a smitten kitten, students sat in the front in a library section of the store, Hedges said. Everything deemed pornographic was off-limits to the students, though sex toys and other products were visible, Hedges said. So that's pretty much the gist. When the kids got back, some of them told their parents about it, and the parents, some of them, lost their mind. What do you think, Jesse? Oh, I, you know, I. it sort of takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? I mean... <laughs> Am I the only one who, like, found somebody else's porn stash and got their sex ed that way? You know, when you're alone and can breeze through the magazines as fast or as slow as you want to? I, yeah, the whole, you know, surrounded by other kids with a teacher and holding up a dildo or whatever it is. I, <laughs> just, that just it seems awkward. Like, yeah. yeah. That's not how I would want to learn. Oh. And this children is a butt plug. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I don't. It is weird because it doesn't say what they discussed at the sex shop. But if you're going to a sex shop, why? Like, unless you're going to talk about something that is contained therein, why would you go to one rather than just talking about what they are? You know, I don't I don't like, you know what? Tell kids about how pregnancy works, tell them how sexual transmitted diseases work, and they'll find out the rest on their own. You know? Yeah. I, <clears throat> like, on one hand, I... Oh, and here, here's the worst part. The teacher, or I'm sorry, the parents didn't know. So it's one thing if it was a field trip and the parents signed a slip saying, this is okay. None of the parents did that. They didn't even know it was happening. It just happened, and then they heard about it afterward. So that's what I think is wrong about this. Like, absolutely, bottom line, should not have happened just because the parents didn't know. Um, then you have to sort of look at what type of a private school this is. I mean, the way they set this up, Gaia School, 
it's, I mean, it sounds more like a homeschool alternative than a private school to me. Yeah, the whole democratic. Well, I can't. Yeah, think I don't what, even know. What yeah, that it's means like okay, we're gonna we're gonna take it. a vote on what sort of history we're. Are we gonna bother to learn white history, or will we only study black history because that's what's politically correct? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. And so that they got some whack job who would think it would be a good idea to not get parental per permission to bring their kids to a porn shop doesn't even surprise me. Well, yeah, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, sh you don't just say that morning, hey, kids, let's go to a porn shop. That's something you have to arrange with the business. So she knew ahead of time, which yeah. means she could have let the parents know ahead of time. So she knew she was doing something that they would not take uh, kind to. It's just weird. Like, why would you fucking do that? So, yeah, I'm with you. I I learned what, like, you know, we had the maturation programs and the sex ed classes in, uh, I guess it was middle school, I think. Um, it was a long time ago. I can't really remember. But I didn't really see, like, nude women until I just stumbled across a porno mag literally in a construction site. Like, we were walking to school one day, a buddy of mine, and there was this magazine on the ground, and I picked it up. I didn't even know what I was looking at. I was like, what is this? Like, trying to figure it out, like, turning it left and right. And my buddy was like, oh, that's a, that's a pussy. I was like, what? No, it's not. Like, I know what that, that's not, no, that's, that doesn't look right at all. Like, I didn't, I could not wrap my head around that that's what that was I was looking at. It was like me seeing a picture of myself the other day. It was like, that's not right. No, <laughs> this is so much more graphic than I imagined it being. It's the, there's no butterflies. Where's the butterflies? <laughs> so I do genuinely think that it, it's better for kids to, um, I wouldn't say, should only explore it on their own because I'm fine as long as the parents are and the children are okay with it. Um, age appropriate discussions on sex, but it is weird that it's, it, it was all kind of underhanded. I think that's really wrong. I don't know that you should go to a porn shop. I don't even feel comfortable going in porn shops because I always run into like these, like there's, there's one. Oh my gosh. So let, let me take a step out of this and just try to tell you a quick story here. Um, when I was going through college, I was working at a coffee shop and another one of the baristas with me would, uh, we would just sort of pitch in on birthdays of, you know, the other people that work there and get the most obscene gifts we could find from the local sex shop. So we got this massive, it was like a three foot long dildo for this one girl. It was just the biggest, grossest thing we could find. And, uh, we went to go buy it and there's this really gross overweight dude with his pants like way below his hips like obviously you know he's presenting himself for anyone who might be interested in the sex shop but that's the type of person that I run into whenever I go to sex shops so I don't want to go there because I don't want to run into that type of person so I would never take kids to that I don't want them to be exposed to the most filthy, the most degraded elements of human expression that you're oh, going to find in a to, fucking to, porn. to their defense, they did say that, you know, the smitten kitten had a library section in the front and the kids yeah. weren't allowed behind that. But yeah, it's not a controlled environment and there's going to be people coming through there that are not people you would allow in a school. Mm-hmm. So. so creepy. Just so creepy. Incredibly and I, poor judgment on that teacher's <laughs> part. Incredibly poor judgment. 
Um, okay, so what do you think? Uh, just hedging bets here. I'm not going to follow up on this to know whether it happens or not. But you think she's going to keep her job? The teacher? Yeah. Definitely not. The I question not. is, will there be any charges pressed against the sex shop? Ooh. Do you think there could be? It depends. I mean, if they had it in writing from the teacher that everything was blessed. Yeah. But I don't oh, know. Yeah. You know, who knows I didn't what the conversation between them, them was? At all. Yeah. That could be interesting. Um, it is. So what was your what was your sex ed experience like in school? Was it was it just like the gym teacher <laughs> going over STDs? No, it was a nun. Whoa, what? <laughs> hold on, hold on, whoa, whoa, let me get comfortable. Let me grab some tissue. Now say it slowly. <laughs> I've got a nun thing, I'm sorry. It was a oh. nun? Did you go to a Catholic school? Yes, I went to a Catholic school oh and um, it was um, sophomore year. <laughs> this is and what Jesus doesn't want you to do, kids. <laughs> yeah, and it was the same teacher that taught the you know Catholic religion class. Whoa! And it was all about abstinence and and, and sexually transmitted diseases. Dang! So it was all about why you shouldn't have sex. Damn! But it wasn't until sophomore year in high school. <laughs> so I won't say that I didn't learn anything because there were di diseases they discussed that I never heard of. So I mean, yeah, I was learning. Yeah, stuff. you. <laughs> but kind of cut your teeth on sex in middle school, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I can't, I can't remember what age I was when I actually got my sex education from porn magazines and, and the like. Yeah. I, I know I was little. I, that's all I can say. See, I did what my mom did to me for my son, where uh, my mom's a, a she, well, I, I guess she still is an artist. Um, she just doesn't do it anymore. But she used to do life drawing a lot. And so she just took some of her life drawing pieces and sat me down and said, this is what a naked man looks like. This is what a naked woman looks like. And just went through the... Uh, different body parts and why they're there and what they're used for biologically. And, and that was my early sex ed. I was, I mean, I, it was like elementary school age. And so I immediately, which is a weird, probably messed with my mind and, and made me have all the weird kinks that I have now. But um, I've always associated fine art with sex now. <laughs> Because that's how I was first exposed to them. It was, this is a fine art sketch of the human form, and that is porn. <laughs> so, like, she didn't say that. That's just how I took it later in life. Like, okay, yeah. well, that's... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I, I, it would have been, like, fourth or fifth grade that I started learning this stuff on my own. So I don't know how old a kid is in fourth or fifth grade, but, yeah, it was right yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so weird that they would wait so long <laughs> into freaking high school to be like, okay, kids, now that you've all had it, let's talk about sex. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's weird. And, and I actually think, I mean, I, I was surprised that Utah was as liberal as it was with their sex ed. I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm glad. I think, I think everyone should be open and honest about what it is, especially when children are maturing or at least acting like they're maturing at younger ages and being exposed between each other, uh, you know, with sex a lot earlier, which, I mean, when I was a kid, 
no 13-year-old had sex. At least not in my neighborhood. Nowadays, it's like a normal thing, which is weird to me. It's weird. Like, I, yeah, I'm so I, uncomfortable. I think <laughs> 17 was normal when I was growing up. Yeah, I mean, you, everyone I knew fooled around, but it wasn't like you actually did it. I mean, high school was sort of that time where you jumped in, you know, yeah. <laughs> cock in, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's how I do it. I just stand on the bed and then just jump. Wah! Sometimes I make it, sometimes I don't. It worked twice well, That's so how far. it is in the porn magazine. That's how I thought it was supposed to work. <laughs> yeah. They didn't edumacate me on that. Oh, I had a couple fractures. It took me years <laughs> to recover. <laughs> I still don't pee straight. I have to aim left every time. Um, no. <laughs> such a weird art. I can't believe this happened. I, I, I want to visit the um, smitten kitten just so I can have a better understanding. Like, it's probably a super tamed down version of a sex shop i'm hoping it is because there's no way i could imagine them taking into like some of the german sex shops i went to when i was in germany because that shit was fucked up but even then even when it's tamed down it's just a weird environment like why would you go to a sex shop to talk about it when you could just stay in your classroom and just talk about it there and here's the other thing it was a course like during your your nun class was that uh, an entire course that you went to sex ed or was yep. it just a presentation okay yeah we i had my gym teacher and he sort of uh he did a sort of tongue-in-cheek version of it where he knew that we we're all a bunch of kids giggling about you know a penis so anytime you said penis we giggled and so he you know he had fun and joked around with it and stuff like that so it was a much better experience than i ever thought it would be i thought it would be like this weird awkward horribly embarrassing thing for some reason but it was really cool and i never actually here's the one thing i kind of i kind of feel bad that i missed i didn't get the these are the stds don't ever have sex because you will get them and your penis will fall off speech like i expected that from every tv show and anecdote of other people I just thought, okay, I want to have the your penis is going to fall off speech. <laughs> Never happened. Not once. Oh, yeah. That that was the bulk of our semester. Because it was a, <laughs> you know, a whole semester class. And there's only so many times they can say, don't have sex, the Lord forbade it. So they had to spend, you know, a week on gonorrhea. And oh a my week God. on venereal disease or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Spent way too much time with us. You might as well just have contracted them and dealt with them because <laughs> it was as painful. Oh, that's funny. All right, well, let's uh, let's do a little creature feature and uh, close this episode out. All right. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature feature. <laughs> Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Jimmy Psycho. We're talking about his new album that uh, has been out for a little bit here, Intergalactic Playboy. How are you, Jimmy? I am great, and I have to say it is a pleasure to be back here again. I, I'm a listener, so I, I, it's always happy to be back here. I love hearing that. <laughs> when the majority of the world isn't, it's always nice to know that there's one or two people that are. 
<laughs> so that's that's great. No, it's it's an absolute honor to have you here. I love uh, the music that you put out, and I'm really really excited that you went back to your um, uh, Jimmy Psycho experiment with this particular album because I, I'm okay. This is. <laughs> obvious for people who listening uh, regularly to the show, but I'm a Star Wars nerd and there's a few nice Star Wars tune in this one, um, in this new album that was just released. So let's let's talk about Intergalactic Playboy here briefly. Uh, we're actually going to preview a song from the album as well, and then we'll sort of just uh, finish out our discussion with uh, your live shows, when people could see you, where they can see you and stuff like that. Um, so Jimmy, let's, let's chat here. The last, uh, album that you put out here was the Mad Monster Cocktail Party under the Jimmy Psycho Experiment, um, of course, nomenclature. I loved that. I mean, it was very much, uh, Halloween, uh, uh, upscale cocktail party feel and vibe. This one, the Intergalactic Playboy, is very much, uh, much more spacey theme, much more science fiction theme. Uh, what made you take that type of a turn? Uh, you know, you know, it, it's very interesting because you know, I, I, Mad Monster Cocktail was like the horror thing. And I'm kind of going, well, horror kind of could always use a, a sci-fi companion because not like mm. much like you. I'm I'm a fan of both. I'm a fan of Star Wars, Star Trek. So I kind of go, you know, uh, Intergalactic Playboy will be the uh, sci-fi companion. So I kind of like, just kind of thought of all the old. Uh, sci-fi movie themes and like you know classic rock songs that yeah. had like a sci-fi kind of intonation to them and just kind of went through all that and i uh, managed to piece together you know some songs and then started working on them and cranked them out and made an intergalactic playboy happen it's really great i mean where does where does this side of the music come from for you because you are very much a, a old school punk rocker i mean just psychocharger itself is very much, you know, sort of hardcore horror punk almost. And this is very much not. <laughs> so where does that come from? Yeah, it's very much the the anti-Psycho Charger. It's, it's the, <laughs> the Jekyll and Hyde, if you will. Um, you, it, it comes from, because, you know, honestly, uh, you know, with Psycho Charger, you know, everything is just so loud, concussive. And whenever we go out and play shows, it's with bands that are very loud and concussive. So... In my off time, I listen to like a lot of different music, but a lot of music I listen to is, is very mellow. And I, I've always had a fondness for like, you know, exotica and, and jazz and, and lounge music. So it, it just kind of like, I just kind of like gravitate towards that one in my off time. And I go, mm -hmm. you know, it'd be kind of fun to, to put a, a record of, of something like this together. And that's really how it all kind of started. And it took a while to do it because I was so busy with Psychocharger, but eventually it, it made its way out there. When, I mean, how long does it take to put a collection like this together? I mean, when do you think that you started on this? Oh, let me see. I would say I probably started on it probably like a, a year and a half ago. I kind of oh. started, I kind of like selecting songs because you know, I went right from Mad Monster Cocktail Party into the next Psycho Charger record. Mm -hmm. and so once that kind of wound down, I started to really, so yeah, I'd say like about a year and a half, I started looking at songs and there's some songs, you know, I go, oh, Gosh, the, the theme from Alien, that would be a great lounge song. And, and it, it just, I just couldn't figure it. I just couldn't make it happen. I was like, you know, I'd love to do it, but it just doesn't sound like anything, you know? So, yeah. so you, you, it was very, it was still very much a trial and error process, though, even though I, I'm more comfortable with like trying new sounds and more instruments and stuff like that. Uh, I think Intergalactic Playboy is much more 
fuller sounding thing than uh than Mad Monster Cocktail Party. So I yeah, that's kind of where I headed with a little bit more with it this time around. So as you were talking, you sort of spurred this idea of what is the selection process like for you? Because you you said you you wanted to try the aliens. When you put it together, it just didn't really sound like anything because the, just the particular composition didn't work in this format. Do you, is that what you do? You you just try every possible song and then whatever works you use, or do you select them before you put the work in to figure out if it'll translate to sort of a lounge tune? Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, it feels like I tried every song out there, but, um, (laughs) you know, I, I probably start off with like 50 songs. I wrote down a list of, you know, just stuff as I'm just walking around, driving around, I go, okay, put this one on the list. And (laughs) I kind of, you know, worked them out. And and then after a while, you just kind of get a sense of what's, what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. And so I'm trying to like, like same thing, the Terminator theme, I thought would be a great one, but it just, (laughs) you know, it, it would, it'd be a great, you know, synthesizer maybe kind of but it, it, it was just too too sparse to really kind of flesh out you know so what what are those um elements of a song that you really gravitate to that really make this uh lounge format uh really a powerful tune uh that's a really good question what 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 do i kind of look for in a song that to try, try to make it happen is uh you know i just kind of listen to like the 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 song structure and uh, just kind of see you know, how many layers of sound are going on with it. And if it has kind of like that, you know, some songs you can kind of tell are like on that cusp of being very swingy and loungy. So those are always very easy to figure out mm. what might work, what might not work. But uh, yeah, those are some of the things that I, I really kind of try to look for. And, 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 and honestly, it's also something that I, that I don't have to sing on. You know, I go, I don't want to have to sing. I want to try to replace the vocals with a, a xylophone kind of sound or like a marimba kind of sound. So that's kind of like another rule I have. I mean, are you using um, uh, physical instruments and all this? Or is this all uh, electrically, uh, you know, put together digitally? For, for yeah, it, it, that, yeah, I get asked that a lot. You, right, you, honestly, it is about... Fifty percent, you know, real stuff, and then fifty. I quote real stuff, and then fifty percent stuff that's like on board on my laptop. So, uh, like a lot of the, the percussion and drums are are, are, are real instruments that I, that I play. Uh, a lot of the conga sounds that are on there. Uh, the the keyboard, you know, keyboard. I'm I'm really playing it, but all the sounds are on board with on the yeah. laptop. So it's if, if that makes sense. So yeah, that's it's it's about fifty fifty though. That's amazing. When you when you go into it, how complex do you want to do it? I mean, it seems like, you know, lounge music should have some stripped down feel to it. But in order to keep the complexity of a lot of these tunes recognizable, you have to put some layers. And, and you've been talking throughout this entire um, discussion so far about uh, different uh, complexity of songs. So how do you keep that balance of lounge uh, music uh, feel but not being overly complex. Is, is it a challenge for you? Um, actually, you know, surprisingly, I, did, I didn't really find that too much of a challenge. I was just kind of like, I really wanted to make it fun. So I really didn't push myself to, to you know, I really didn't want to stress out over anything by trying mm-hmm. to do too much. Because, you know, honestly, you know, Mad Monster Cocktail Party, that, that thing really was like a lot of trial and error. And I really didn't want to go through that process this time around, because now I kind of have a better grip on on my approach to to doing lounge music. So 
I really just try to keep it more upbeat and fun and not really try to drudge over things to uh, to make it happen. I didn't want to force anything, in other words, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it, it absolutely worked out. And what I'd like to do is uh, let the audience hear a track. This is going to be Moon Dance. And on the other end, we're going to talk about where the audience can pick this up, pick up your past uh, records, and then, you know, where they can see you live as well. So let's, let's listen to a little Moon Dance by uh, the Jimmy Psycho Experiment. And this is from the album Intergalactic Playboy.
All right, that was Moondance. Fantastic. <laughs> it's it's really funny. A lot of these tracks, I immediately pick up like the name and I associate the music just with the title. For whatever reason, when I was looking at Moondance, I couldn't I couldn't connect it. And as soon as you're like three notes in, you're just like, oh yes, I remember. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and that's exactly what happens at the uh, the live shows too, because you know you're you're kind of playing along and then by the end of the first verse, everybody's singing the chorus with me, you know? So <laughs> even though I'm not singing it, but there, it's almost like a, a room full of karaoke going on. That's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> that is, let me ask you this really quick before we get into um, how, how people can pick these up. When you're performing live, I mean, typically lounge music is supposed to fade in the back, but if everyone is purely focused on you, then it's very much like a, a, a traditional performance from a musician. Is that strange for you? Like you, you created this to be lounge, but then you're actually performing as if it was, you know, uh, you know, a traditional band. Yeah, you, I do. I do it both. I do it as a solo performer. And then I also, uh, for like the bigger gigs, I, I have a, a, a guy that plays congas with me and a, a yes. bass player. <laughs> So there's three of us on stage. Oh, that's so awesome. yeah, so like the, the smaller gigs, like in art galleries or uh, what, what have you, little events like that, I, I'm I'm like kind of just tucked away in a corner. And I'm honestly, I'm very happy just to be atmosphere. You know, while mm-hmm. people are having drinks, looking at art or whatever. Uh, the the larger gigs, though, it's uh, usually three of us on stage. Wow, that's cool. And we try yeah. not to look like your average lounge band either. I, I bring a little <laughs> bit of the Psycho Charger theatrics to the live show, so. Visually, so how, it's it's fun too. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen I've seen you um, throw out some uh, alien aesthetics. You have some horror aesthetics. You have like this almost Doctor Satan slash uh, Mason aesthetic. Sometimes, I mean, how do you? Is it just like off the cuff, whatever you feel like for that day, or do you have like a set list that pays off how you look? I mean, how do you plan on your your wardrobe? Yeah, I, I kind of look at, at the at the event that we're playing that we're playing. Like we do the. Uh, the the Star Wars Star Girls burlesque show uh, here in Hollywood. We have a standing oh, gig I at that. So desperately. Oh yeah, I, it is, I'm telling everybody out there, it is worth the trip out to Hollywood <laughs> just to see this show. And so we had, that's how we did the whole alien thing. We go, oh, we're going to be the Alien Cantina band. So yes, <laughs> uh, that, that's how we made that happen. And then uh, I played a, a solo gig at, at Tiki Caliente and. You know, the theme was jungle, you know, voodoo. So I, I dress as a witch doctor. I had an old tiki mask that's like three feet high that I took off my that wall awesome. and <laughs> made a mask out of it and wore that with a grass skirt. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of everything. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so cool. All right. So let's tell the good folks where they can find Intergalactic Playboy because it is available as we're speaking. Um, the best place to start is at the website, and it's jimmypsycho.com, and it's uh, – uh, you can. I have like all the links up there. It's like on Amazon. It's on iTunes. Uh, go to your local record store. The, it's, if they don't have it, they can get it for you. If you want the physical release, and uh, feel free to come to the shows, uh, say hi, and, and pick it up there. Let me ask you about that really quick uh, because you mentioned the record store. Do you? I mean, just personally, do you prefer digital or do you prefer having a, a disc or a record or a physical thing? That that's really. You know, uh, I. Uh, I, I'm very much of, of the vinyl era because, like, a lot of those old records. I'm a big fan of old music, so I'm, I I do like the vinyl. Um, the, I kind of realized at some point in my life that I, I would buy a CD, and I'm sure you, a lot of people that are listening are very much like this. You buy a CD, 
you open it once, put it in your laptop, burn it, dump it somewhere, yeah. and then you never open it again. That's the last <laughs> time you'll see it, you know? And so I'm very much of a of the vinyl now. And you cause you can always get a digital download with the vinyl usually nowadays. Hell yeah. I, I loved your last Psychocharger vinyl. It was absolutely amazing. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about your last album uh, quickly for the Jimmy Psycho Experiment. Is that still available, Mad Monster Cocktail Party? That is still out there also. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely suggest everyone pick both of them up because they are genuinely uh, not only entertaining to listen to, but just fun as background music. I mean, it's the, the talent that goes into these, I'm... I'm continually just, I shouldn't be, but I'm continually surprised by, because I, again, don't recognize some of the names, but as soon as you hear the first three notes, you're in. I mean, you are just <laughs> in listening to it. My wife uh, walked down the hall as I was listening to it uh, one morning when I was working, and she was like, what the hell are you listening to? Oh, that's us. And she just immediately picked it up as soon as she started oh, that's actively awesome. listening. That's great. It was really, really cool. Um all right, so the best place to go, everyone, jimmypsycho.com, all of the music, all of the albums, even solo tracks that haven't been released in an album format are available, so definitely check that out. Intergalactic Playboy album is available right now, Jimmy Psycho Experiment. Um, Jimmy, let's talk a little bit about live shows. What do you have coming up? Where can people see you perform? Oh, we, we have a, uh, a great gig. Well, as I, as I mentioned, we have a, a standing gig uh at the Dragonfly in Hollywood, uh, California, with the Devil's Playground Burlesque Company that puts on the the Star Girls show. Uh, so we do that uh, every month, every month and a half. So, so, like once again, if you're out out this way and it's going on, you you definitely it's officially achieved cult status, I think, because it's been going <laughs> yeah. on for like five or six years now. So we have, we have a standing gig there, and coming up, um, we have an awesome gig. We're playing uh, the. We're the only lounge band playing at uh, the Ink and Iron Festival Whoa. Uh, next weekend. We're playing uh, a, a set of all punk rock lounge music. Your favorite punk rock tunes played in the lounge style up on the uh, <laughs> up on the in the awesome Art Deco observatory observatory bar on, on the Queen Mary. So that's gonna be a lot oh of fun. Look, like, that's gonna be yeah, badass. yeah. So if anybody's coming to that, you know, flag me, hit me up, let me know, and uh, always happy to say hi. And after that, it's gonna be a uh, Tiki Caliente or no Tiki Oasis in San Diego in uh, late August. And yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be starting to be a pretty busy summer now. So do you, do you perform more as the Jimmy Psycho Experiment than you do Psycho Charger uh, lately these days? It, it, it almost seems like it. Now I would I would say it's probably it's probably went from fifty fifty. Now it's like seventy five Jimmy Psycho Experiment and then twenty five percent Psycho Charger right now. And that's just because you know, the, the record is is out now. I'm out promoting that. But you know, yeah. come around in the fall, it'll become you know Psycho Charger time again during the spooky season. <laughs> do you ever <laughs> find yourself conflicted about? Well, I. I really want to do this one, but it's been so long since I've done this other one. I'd rather just stick with one over the other at times. I mean, it, it's almost a question of two children asking their mom, who's, you know, who's your favorite? And that, that's really, that, 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 that is a, that's the exact analogy that I was going to use also. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's tough. You know, sometimes these, these gigs come around and it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't rocked out in a while. Let's do Psycho Charger, you know. So it's, it's kind of tough, yeah. <laughs> well... I, I love both of them, and uh, I mean, this album, I, I am completely 100% in love with it. 
I mean, just listening to these tracks, I can't even say this enough. <clears throat> I've never considered myself a fan of lounge music, like ever. As soon as I heard Man Mad Monster Cocktail Party, I was in both feet first. I mean, it was just, it, it kind of blew me away. It was just that perfect sort of dinner vibe company over uh, album. But the more I listened to it, the more I just listened to it myself alone without oh, anyone cool. else around. Cool. And like this new album, I, it's the same way. It's just, I am really digging this entire project uh, that you put together, Jimmy Psycho Experiment. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you uh, for sharing your music with the audience. And hopefully... Uh, they're going to do uh, what's right and support the Jimmy Psycho Experiment because it's absolutely worth it. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. Thank you very much. Well, until we can chat again, my man, hail Satan. Yeah, hail Satan, brother. And that's going to do it for another show, people. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website, nonsensepodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit us on social media, Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and MySpace, and get updated on weekly show notes and contests or information or just random musings that we throw out there. We also share a lot of other posts from people that we know and respect, um, some of it directly relating to monetizing your craft, uh, the episode uh, Jesse just delivered. So pay attention to us on social media if you want to see those types of things. Uh, download the show Mondays, every night, or every morning actually, technically. <laughs> but anyway, it's on Monday. And uh, you can check 9centspodcast.com for the RSS feed. We're on LastFM, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, anywhere you get us. You can subscribe to it and you can leave us a comment and we would appreciate it. At the minimum, give us an honest rating, and if you're feeling randy, give us a comment. Tell us what we're doing good, and more importantly, what we're doing bad. We do like honest critiques. So I wouldn't say we like them, but we we respect them. That's it. <laughs> That's the word. And of course, if you want to know more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, churchofsatan.com is the place that you should be going. Read the Satanic Bible. Read the Satanic Scriptures. And only remember... <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying right there. <laughs> the only way that we're going to continue doing this podcast is if you continue to tell a friend and share it with people um share the posts and uh you know tune in listen to us people like jesse are actually doing wonderful things people like me are dragging it down <laughs> so once again thank you for joining me as always i'm your host adam campbell being joined by jesse the wonderful Jesse, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And thank until you next me. week. Oh, yes. Until next week. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.